Daniel chapter 5. Let's pray and let's dig into the Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. We ask now as we go to your Word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I pray that man would decrease, that your Spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said... So, we saw last week, in the last few weeks, in the life of Daniel, we know that Daniel was a young man who purposed in his heart he would not defile himself as a teenager. And then we saw Daniel being used mightily by God in interpreting of dreams. And then we saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego take a stand for the Lord when nobody else would and get thrown in the fiery furnace. Last week, we saw the testimony of King Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the one who built a statue unto himself and wanted people to pray only unto him and threw them in the fiery furnace. Then we saw last week a message, by the way, I've had more texts and comments about last week's message and how it applied to people's lives, maybe than any message I've ever taught in my life. Because what it was about was humiliation. We either humble ourselves before God or God will humble us. Amen. And we saw last week that King Nebuchadnezzar, though in chapter two, he said, your God is God. And then he built a statue unto himself. And then after he threw them in the fire and they saw the fourth one in the fire, like the son of God, likeness of the son of God had to be called out of the fire. He said again, your God is God. And then we get to chapter four and he has this dream and he's telling everybody his testimony. It's amazing to me that in the Bible, King Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan king, writes a chapter of the Bible in the book of Daniel. And we see that at the end, when he was humbled, he was told because of what he had done, he would be humbled for seven years. He was like a beast in the grass. And when he finally looked up, God restored him. And that should be an encouragement for every one of us that no matter how far away we get from the Lord, no matter where our life may be, if we will look up and confess him, he will restore us. Amen? Amen. So I told the message last week from prideful humiliation to joyous salvation. So now, as we come to chapter five, between chapter four and chapter five, it's been about 20 years. So at this point, Daniel is in his mid to late 70s. So it's been 60 years since he was taken captive in Babylon as a teenager. And Nebuchadnezzar has passed away. He reigned for 43 years. And what's not seen in the text here is that his sons and his son-in-laws started assassinating each other when, to, to become king. The first one uh, was, his name was Evil Moradah. I hope, I hope he named him that after, before he got saved. And he succeeded his father, but he was murdered after just two years by his brother-in-law. His brother-in-law then served for four years. He actually died of natural causes. He was succeeded by his infant son who only reigned for a few months. Then he was killed by another man and his name was Nabonus. We'll see him in tonight's text. And Nabonus has a son named Belshazzar. So the guys we're going to look at tonight are Nabonus and Belshazzar. And we're going to see a, cl a clear picture, a great warning for all of us. I think the thing that is clear in people that are the furthest away from the Lord, these are the things they struggle with. Pride, arrogance, and indifference. And I actually think the people that are indifferent are the furthest away from the Lord. And what I mean by that is they don't have any thought about God at all. I, I see when I have people that are angry at me and yelling at me about my faith, I know there's some level of conviction there, and I think they're probably closer to the Lord. But what we're going to see in tonight in this morning's text is Belshazzar is prideful, arrogant, and indifferent. And as believers, those are things that will lead to your destruction. Amen. And as believers, we should not be prideful. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Arrogance. We have nothing to be arrogant about because any good in us comes from the Lord. And then finally, indifferent. Guys, as believers, we should not be indifferent about the gospel. We should not be indifferent about the word of God. We should not be indifferent about our faith. And we should not be indifferent about sharing our faith with other people because we want to see people saved. Amen? Amen. And so we see that this man by the name of Nabonis, who was married to one of Nebuchadnezzar's daughters, he's the king as we begin this text. He took over the throne and reigned it for 17 years. But Nabonis, as we're going to see, he did not, Nabonidus, he did not like hanging out in the kingdom. So he was out winning battles and fighting wars. And he left his son, Belshazzar, to sit behind the great walls and just indulge himself. So his dad's a warrior, and he's kind of the guy that just is entitled 
He's the co-regent, is what he was called. He was allowed to rule in the kingdom while his father was off fighting the battles. Again, isn't it amazing that Nabonidus, his name is, or Nabonis, he worshipped pagan gods and spent all of his time defeating enemies and building pagan temples to the god Sin, the moon god, and the moon god's name, I'm not making this up, is Sin. So this man was serving Sin instead of serving the true and living God, and that sounds like much of the world today, amen? So here he is, this man, and the sad part is his father-in-law was Nebuchadnezzar, and he certainly could have learned from Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. It had been shared with the entire nation. It's written in the Bible. It was written on the scrolls they had in those days. He certainly should have known it. But sadly, God, as we've talked about before, God has no grandchildren. You're not saved because your parents are saved. Each one of us must have our own relationship and our own faith in the Lord. Nabonidus uh, was away. He appointed his son Belshazzar and as co-regent and authority. It says in Jeremiah, and now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and the beasts of the field I've also given him to, to serve him. So all the nations shall serve him and his son and his son's son until the time of the land comes, then many nations and great kings shall make him serve them. So in Jeremiah, about 200 years before this happened, it was prophesied that Nebuchadnezzar would lead and that his son and then his grandson would be kings. And that's exactly what we see in the text this morning. So the events of chapter 5, again, take place about 60 years after Daniel was taken captive. And in this morning's text, we're going to see again what happens when you're prideful. King Belshazzar's pride, arrogance, and indifference will prove to be fatal. And if you don't humble yourself before God, God has a way of humbling you. Amen? So grab your outline if you've got it. I tell the message, every knee shall bow. The dangers of pride, indifference, and indulgence. You humble yourself unto salvation, or you'll be humbled by God unto judgment. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. If we're prideful, if we're arrogant, if we're not humble before God, it's going to be tragic. So there's seven points this morning. Let's go over these quickly and get into the text. Point number one is pride, indifference, and indulgence. While self-centered pride leads to destruction, indifference to who God is and the eternity that awaits us leads to fleshly indulgence. The result of both pride, arrogance, and indifference are the same. You know why people are indifferent toward God? They have no fear of God. The reason people are prideful, they don't fear God. You know, I, I, just, I say this often. From the, the thing that I want to do as a believer, above all else, is not only honor, love, and serve God, but I want to fear God. And I want to honor, love, and serve my wife. And I want to live a life that brings glory and honor to our Savior's name. Amen? And I truly believe if we honor God and we honor those who love us and if we fear God, we will live lives of holiness set apart unto the Lord and being used mightily by Him. Point number two, every knee will bow and tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord we're going to see very quickly that pride, arrogance, and indifference will turn into knee-knocking fear, literally. He's going to be arrogant, and he's going to be indifferent, and it's all going to change in a second. And that's what will happen to everyone who's arrogant and indifferent, because there's going to be a moment coming where every one of us will stand before Almighty God, and I promise you, we will not be arrogant, and we will not be indifferent, and we will not be indulgent when we're standing in front of the Lord. Amen? When we stand before him, everybody's going to get woke up. The self-righteous, prideful person who's wealthy and thinks he's got the world by the tail. The person who just doesn't believe God exists. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? Number three, true wisdom and understanding can only come through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. An unbelieving world has no answers. Don't turn to the world for answers. Don't turn to the world for counsel. Turn to the Lord. Number four, a good name is better to be had than great riches. Belshazzar is going to be in trouble. He's going to need interpretation of his dream. At this point, Daniel seems to have been put on the side, and the queen's going to let him know, go get this guy. He'll be able to interpret your dream. And he tries to bribe Daniel, and Daniel's like, I don't want your stuff. You know why? Because a good name is better to be had than great riches. Daniel didn't care about stuff. He cared about serving the Lord. Number five, all power, position, and authority and gifting come from the Lord. The fact that Belshazzar is leading is only because God allowed it. The fact that you and I are in the positions we're in is only because God allows it. 
Any gifting we have comes from the Lord to him and him alone. Be all the praise, glory, and honor. Amen? There is no escaping, number six, the righteous judgment of God. Nobody gets a do-over. There's no second chances. What you do in this life will, will determine where you spend eternity. And that ought to bring you to your knees. Amen? Too often we're focused on the temporal with no thought of the eternal. And then lastly, God is faithful to his word, both in gracious forgiveness and in righteous judgment. So let's begin there in verse 1 of every knee will bow in Daniel chapter 5, beginning there in verse 1, looking at pride, indulgence, indifference, and indulgence. It says, Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. So don't confuse him. Daniel's you know, pagan name they gave him was Belteshazzar. This is Belshazzar. It's a different person. So the city of Babylon was huge. It was surrounded by an inner wall, a moat, and an outer wall that was 350 feet tall and 87 feet thick. 350 feet tall is more than a football field tall, especially back in those days, invincible. And this city was viewed as something that no enemy could ever conquer. The wall was so thick on the top, you could have four chariots running side by side all together. They also had the Euphrates River flowing under the under through the gates and into the land so that they always had a fresh water supply and they had farms inside of the, of the gates and the walls. So literally they could, it was said that they could probably survive a siege for 20 or 30 years. So when you feel, well, look, we're the wealthiest nation. We got the greatest army. Uh, we have nothing to fear and you're behind the walls. And we know at this very time when he's planning this party where he brings a thousand guys in and they're all getting liquored up, they're having a rager, right? They're getting drunk. Outside the walls are the Medo-Persians, Cyrus, and they're coming in to attack King Darius. And they just think there's nothing they can do. I have nothing to fear. Totally indifferent to the fact that the enemy is beat. You know, the enemy's coming against the wall and the king's partying. He's getting drunk. Why is that? Because he was a man of pride, indifferent, indifference and indulgence. So Belshazzar's father had been the one outside the walls fighting the battles and fighting the enemies. But the Belshazzar feels safe within the walls and with the ability to grow food and everything else, he just felt like it doesn't matter what the world around us does, I'm going to be fine. Again, humble yourself, Belshazzar, or God's going to humble you. And it's going to happen very, very quickly. You know, I, again, it just breaks my heart when I see people that just kind of want nothing to do with God, acting like they can opt out. Nobody gets to opt out with God. Amen? Everybody, again, all of us will face him one day. And you can't just say, well, I don't believe in that. You, you not believing doesn't make it true or untrue. Amen? It's not based on your belief. It's based on what the truth is. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. Now watch, verse 2 and 3. While he tested the, tasted, or tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, it was his grandfather, had taken from the temple, which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. These were the instruments that were used the vessels that were used in the worship of the true and living God. And when Babylon overtook Jerusalem and leveled it, they, Nebuchadnezzar brought back these goblets and glasses that were used for, again, things like Passover and took them instead. And now they're taking what was to be used for the Lord and they're using it for their own indulgence and their own drunkenness. Now, this is somebody who has total disregard for anything that God says they don't think about what God says. Now, notice also, he's got wives and concubines. This guy's got some problems. He's got a wife. He's got other women. He's getting drunk. He doesn't care. He has no regard for Almighty God. His father's out building pagan temples to sin. And sometimes we look and we think, why does God suffer so long? But eventually, as God suffers long, he won't suffer always. And we're going to see the righteous judgment of God come upon them. You know, that these vessels were created for God's glory and were being used 
for pagan idolatry and drunkenness. Guess what? You and I were created as vessels for God's glory. May we not allow ourselves to be used for drunkenness and the worship of the false gods of this world. Can I get an amen to that? Every one of us is a vessel created by God to be used for God, for his kingdom and his glory. By the way, children's ministry, just real quick. We need help in children's ministry. I say this every once in a while. I got saved in Mrs. Green's Sunday school class at the First Baptist Church of Wilmington in 1968. Yes, I'm old. And everything I've done in ministry is on her account because she led this four and a half year old boy to the Lord. Now, what's amazing about this, I got a letter this week from a woman who went to our church in Santa Cruz and she said, hey, I haven't talked to you in 15 years. I just want you to know the God, how God really used Calvary Chapel to minister to me, to help me fall in love with the word. And she said, and now I teach Sunday school. She goes, and I can't help but think Mrs. Green led you to the Lord and God used you to, me, to lead me to the Lord. And now I'm ministering to kids that are all fruit of Mrs. Green's ministry. So guys, serving in the children's ministry is as fruitful a place as you can serve in the kingdom of God. Amen? So here we have Belshazzar. He just thinks he doesn't have to worry about anything. He thinks he's got the world by the tail. By the way, he's the king of the greatest kingdom on the, on the planet. He's, he feels like he's safe. He's indulging himself. He's got concubines and wives, and they're just getting drunk. And guess what? God's coming. Amen? We're meant to be vessels used for the kingdom of God. And then notice what it says. And they drank wine and praised the gods of silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. The Bible tells us in Ephesians, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You've heard me say we don't need spirits. We have the Holy Spirit. Amen? And you see liquor stores and they say spirits. I don't think that's by chance. Guys, we're not to be drunk with wine. We're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And attempting to escape reality and the troubles and trials of this life while mocking God all at the same time. They surrounded, they're surrounded by the enemy. They should have been on their knees crying out to God for help. If they had listened to Nebuchadnezzar's testimony, who surrendered his life to the Lord at the end of his life, and this is his grandfather, so he knew it, but instead they're partying, they're drinking, they're getting drunk, they're not worried, and they're actually worshiping the gods of gold and silver. They're worshiping gods. They're worshiping the gods of this world. What do, what do many people worship in our nation today? Money, wealth. I saw this recently. They walked down on a mall and they said, what would you rather have? $5 million or five minutes with Jesus? And everybody said $5 million. And some of you might go, oh, I don't know. I'm going to see him later. So maybe, No. <laughs> But I'll tell you what, five minutes, with, five minutes with Jesus all day long. Amen? Amen. Guys, we've lost our sight if you even have to think about that. I would have had five minutes with my son Mark who's in heaven than $5 million. Amen. You know why? Because guys, it's about, it's about knowing the Lord and having a relationship with him. And we so get caught up thinking the scorecard is based on how much stuff we have. It's all wood, hay, and stubble. It's all chaff. It's all going to burn. Can I get an amen to that? You might have a bigger pile of dirt than I do, but it's all going to perish anyway. And everybody's just fighting over deck chairs in the Titanic. The ship's going down. Get on the lifeboat. His name's Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? And too often, that's so here he is, and he just thinks he's got the world by the tail, and he's worshiping false gods, and he's got concubines. It's a drunken rager. All the thousand lords are in there together, and they're using the things that were supposed to be used for God. And you know what? Watch how God's going to respond. Now, I will say this. They're surrounded by the enemy, so they decide to just get liquored up. And sometimes when people, some of us maybe, when you're going through a trial, you can either run to the Lord or you can try to medicate away whatever you're going through. Can anybody say amen to that? And that's what the world does. You know, you have a bad day at work, you go tie one on. You get in a fight with your spouse, you go get lit, right? And that's what these guys are doing. They're putting their faith in a sense, and just partying. They're not worrying about what's around them, but at the same time, they should have been on their knees praising the true and living God. Instead, they're praising the false gods of this world. Point number one, pride, indifference, and indulgence. He's indulging himself, just doing what his flesh wants. He's totally indifferent to the things of God. He's being prideful. Point number two, every knee will bow and tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In the same hour, God didn't wait this time. Now look, there's, uh, there's two undeniable facts. There is a God and I'm not him. Amen? 
and you're not him. Because if I were, I would act like this more often than God does, but God's way more patient than I am, aren't you thankful? But you see people doing stuff, and you think, why doesn't God just smoke them? You know, right? Why doesn't God just deal with them? But aren't you glad he didn't deal with us that way? Amen? But watch what happens here. There are times when God, he's doing all of this, and it happens quickly. Look what it says there again. It says, in that same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. So they're all partying, it's a rager, you can just hear all the noise, music playing, whatever they're doing, and then all of a sudden a hand just comes down into the palace and starts writing on the wall. And when it's written on the wall, they're going to see it, it's going to strike fear in them, they don't even know what it says, but they know whatever it says, it came from God. And it's going to strike fear into their hearts. And we're going to see that in this moment, as God's bringing righteous judgment, it's interesting to me that the same finger that wrote in the sand when the woman was caught in adultery and named the sins of the other people and showed forgiveness and said, go and sin no more, is the same hand that is writing the righteous judgment of God on the wall in the palace because he's a God of forgiveness, but he's also a God of righteous judgment. Amen? And you don't get to pick. I, I like the forgiveness God, not so much the judgment God. But guess what? His judgment is righteous and his judgment we deserve. God's anger is aroused. He does not give a dream or a warning like he did to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had two dreams warning him of things to come. God doesn't give him a dream. And sometimes we think, well, I'll just get right with God as soon as, you know, he starts getting, you know, getting upset with me. Then I'll fix it. Or, you know, I'm sure God will give me another chance. No, but none of us have a promise of tomorrow. Some of us, any one of us could be standing before the throne of God today. And the only thing that will matter is what have you done with God's son? So this hand of stern, righteous judgment came without warning for Babylon and Belshazzar's total disregard for God and their blasphemous act. It says this in Jeremiah 5, 51, make the arrows bright, gather the shields. The Lord has raised up the spirit of kings of the Medes for his plan is against Babylon to destroy it because it is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance for his temple. That also was written about 200 years before this, and it's telling them that his vengeance is against Babylon. It's the vengeance of the Lord, and it's for his temple. Again, they're using the things that belonged in the temple. Anytime people tell you that, the, how do we know the word of God is true? We can go over so much, thousands of prophecies throughout scripture, historical evidence, the word of God rocks. Amen? So God's going to bring righteous judgment upon Babylon by the hands of the Medo-Persians, and they are the ones that are outside the gate. So if they'd been reading Jeremiah, they'd be repentant, but they hadn't. And biblical illiteracy will keep you from God's plan. The same hand again that wrote of forgiveness now writes of righteous judgment. Verse 6 says there, then the king's countenance changed and his thoughts troubled him. So he goes from, oh, God of gold, and he's just getting liquored up, and they're just, oh, and all of a sudden the hand writes, and guess what? In a second, he goes from being this guy who's just indulging what his flesh wants, who's indifferent toward God, who's filled with pride, and in a matter of seconds, his countenance change. His face changes. Again, all those people, well, I don't care if I go to hell, I'm going to party with all my friends when I get there. Have you ever met anybody like that? Uh, hell sounds more fun to me than heaven. You obviously haven't been to hell, amen? But the reality is that there's this mentality that people have, but I promise you that arrogance will be off their faces in a half a second when they stand before the, by the when they fa when they're face down before the creator of the universe, amen? amen? Aren't you glad you know Jesus? Amen. Aren't you glad you have the promise of eternal life? Amen. Aren't you thankful? And so it shows us that Belshazzar was terrified. Very quickly, Belshazzar's pride and arrogance turned into knee-knocking fear. Look what it says there. It says there in verse 6, his thoughts troubled him so that his joints of his hips were loosened and his knees were knocked against each other. Man, I love the Bible. He went from, ah, to, and now when it says his hips were loosened, do you know what that means? His bowels were loosened. He messed his pants. He went from, oh, he said, you know, <laughs> knees knocking. Got everybody in the crowd's attention, I think, amen? Dude, 
Where's your arrogance now, bro? How's that indifference working out? Oh, you're invincible. Well, no, you're not. Picture of coming judgment of all mankind where the prideful, arrogant, and indifferent will be struck with fear and trembling. No one will be arrogant or prideful on judgment day, again, as every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The indifferent will become fully engaged in the presence of God as their eternity weighs in the balance. Look at verse 7 and 8. The king cried aloud to bring the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying, To the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed in purple, have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now, if he had paid attention to Nebuchadnezzar's testimony, would he be calling these people? Have they? These are the unwise men. These are the foolish men. This is pagan university. They're astrologers and witchcraft. They got no answers for anything. Every time they've showed up in front of the king, the first time they started getting killed till Daniel saved their life, they couldn't interpret the dream either. And each time they had to run to somebody who knew God to get the answer. Guys, the Bible tells us to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. People who don't know God should not counsel me on anything. We should be counseling them on the fact that they need to be saved. Amen? So we don't run to the world, and I don't care what Dr. Phil thinks, or Oprah, or anybody else, or one 900 psychic or whatever. Guys, we seek guidance from the mighty counselor, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen? So he calls the wise men who have no wisdom. Uh, those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. And though he offered great wealth and a position of power, the wise men, like the world, had no answers. Again, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. So no amount of physical wealth or reward can bring godly wisdom. So he's offering a huge reward. He's letting them know, you'll be third in the kingdom. His dad is the, is the king. He's the co-king, if you will, the co-regent. So he would, whoever can interpret it would be third in all of the kingdom, this most mighty kingdom on the earth. And he's offering this great reward, and they still don't have any answers because you can't buy wisdom. wisdom only, true wisdom only comes from above. Look at verse 8. Now, all the wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Quickly, the party had changed from laughing drunks to a group of scared and uh, shook lords. This group of a thousand of the most privileged people in Babylon, their arrogance over their positions and different about the enemy's attack, were quickly brought to a place of sobriety, fear, and concern by the very hand of God. So then it says in verse 9, then Belshazzar was greatly troubled, his countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. So the other thousand people are sitting there, everybody's in shock, everybody's looking for an answer, everybody saw the hand of God writing on the wall. By the way, have you ever heard the term, the writing on the wall? Guess where that came from? Right here, amen? We see that throughout the Bible, people quote things and they don't realize what they're quoting is from scripture. So, Point number two there was every knee will bow and tongue will confess. Number three, true wisdom and understanding can only come through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So they don't have any answers. The wise men are in. He's petrified. He's messed his pants. His knees are knocking together. The thousand lords are astonished. They bring in their wise men. They don't have any answers. I think he's in full panic mode. And a divine appointment takes place. Look at verse 10. The queen, because of the words of the king and the lords, came to the banquet hall. So the word about what happened inside the banquet hall is spilled out into all of Babylon. And the queen here is Nebuchadnezzar's, either his wife or his daughter, one or the other. So this is either Belshazzar's mom or his grandmother, in either case. So the queen runs in to tell them, and she's been around long enough that while Belshazzar doesn't, she remembers this godly man that interpreted dreams that was filled with the Spirit. Look what it says there. In verse 10, so the queen spoke saying, O king, live forever. Well, that's not going to happen. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy God, in whom is the spirit of the holy God, and in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. So they have no answers. And she comes in and says, there is a guy. I know a guy. 
And he'd say, this guy, we can go get him because the Spirit of God is in him. And you know, we saw him interpret dreams, and his hand is upon him. Can you think of a greater thing to be said of any man or woman than for it to say, in whom the Spirit of the Holy God dwells? He's filled with the Spirit of the living God. That is a man or a woman that God can use. Amen? It's when we decrease and his spirit increases, that's when we can be used for the Lord and for his kingdom. And so she lets him know that there is a man who can answer it. Notice it says in verse 12, inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar, now let Daniel be called, and he will give you the interpretation. You know what I love? The queen has confidence that Daniel will have the answer because she has seen how he worships God, and she has seen how he was faithful to the Lord, and she has seen how he stood for God when nobody else would, and she had heard and seen him bring the truth when nobody else knew what it was. Now, this is what happens in the world today. The very people that may mock you when they're indifferent or indulgent or being prideful When they're in a place of desperation, some of those same people are going to show up at your house or come by your cubicle at work because they're they're in a panic mode. I had a coworker who just was one of the most atheistic guys I've ever met in my life, wanted nothing to do with God. Every time I tried to talk to him about the Lord, he would literally just cover his ears. He just didn't want to hear it. And one day he comes by my desk because his dad has cancer. And now he says, I know this is going to be crazy, Dave, but, and I don't really believe in your God, but if if there is a God, it's your God, and could you pray for my dad? So this is what happens often, is the world that mocks God is willing to run to people that know God when they're desperate. And guys, they, we ought to be the people that everybody in your office ought to know you're a believer. Amen? Everybody in your neighborhood ought to know you have a relationship with the Lord. Because when you walk into the building, the Holy Spirit just showed up. When you're walking around your neighborhood, the Holy Spirit is with you. And God wants to use you. And God brings divine appointments. And if we live for the Lord, there will be times when people will seek you out. Because if they don't know the Lord, they go, but I got to find someone who does. And my prayer is that would be you. Amen? My prayer is that your name would be the one they think of. When I need prayer, who can I run to? Who might have answers? Well, that was Daniel. Daniel was the one, and not only did the queen say, the Lord is in him. Oh, he'll interpret your dream. I already know it. Why? Because he knows God. Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of him. And he can be the one that can give you the answer that no one else has. Praise God for a mom with wisdom. Amen? And she gives him the answer. So point number four there, a good name is better to be had than great riches. Now watch how Daniel is going to respond. So then Daniel was brought to the king. And the king spoke and said to Daniel, are you the Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father, the king, brought from Judah? I have heard of you, just from heard from his mom, that the spirit of God is in you and that the light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me that they read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not give me the interpretation. And I have heard of you, that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas, enigmas. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed in purple and have a, a, ch- a chain. There shall be a clothed in purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Now, most people would be excited about this. Daniel could care less. Daniel was not a man who was striving for worldly position. Daniel did not care about money or wealth. He didn't need it. All he cared about was honoring the Lord and doing what God had called him to do. He was a man of prayer. We'll see in next week's chapter. He's daily a man of prayer who prayed without ceasing. He was a man who was unashamed of his faith. He was a man who'd rather die with conviction than live with compromise. He was not a man who was fearful of men. He was a man who was fearful of God and faithful to God. Amen? So when he offers him this reward to try to influence Daniel to do it, Daniel's going to let him know, I'll do it, but I'm doing it for the Lord, not for you. When the hand wrote, this heavy thing falls upon the king, and he's just looking for somebody who might have the answer. And Daniel, again, clearly is no longer on top of the king's list, but thankfully his mom is the one that pointed him out. So Belshazzar offers Daniel something that holds no value to him. Again, $5 million or five minutes with Jesus. 
Five minutes of Jesus all day long. Amen? By the way, you know you get to spend time with the Lord every day. The veil has been torn. We can pray anywhere and anytime. Amen? What's the motivation of your life? What's the thing that would get your attention the quickest? Would it be the ability to serve the Lord and be used for his kingdom and his glory? Would you be more excited about leading your best friend to the Lord or winning the lottery? And again, I get it. There's a, you know, we want stability and all that kind of stuff, but our stability is not in our bank account. It's in Jesus Christ. Amen? He's the one who provides for all things. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So now verse number four there, all power, position, and authority are given from God. Now Daniel's going to answer. And Daniel says there in verse 17, And Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself. Give, them, give the rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. He's saying, look, I don't need the money. I don't need the stuff. I will let you know because you've, I, you've called me here and God wants me to be able to interpret the dream for you. So Daniel is no longer an old man and no longer a young man uh, speaking to an old king. Now he's uh, an old man speaking to a young king. Daniel gives the young king clear and direct sermon about pride, position, and who it is that is truly in control of all things. He's going to take this opportunity not only to interpret what's written on the wall, but to give the king a lesson in the fact that the fact that he is king is only because God allowed it. The fact that God is in control, not him. The fact that he's not on the throne, God is. And guys, that's a reminder. You know what? Wouldn't it be great to have every politician sit down and read Daniel chapter 5? Yes. Amen? And dude, you're not in control of anything. You're not over anything. God allowed you to be there. Praise God for our Speaker of the House. Can I get an amen to that? Yes. Praise God that somebody, when they say, what's your position? He goes, read the Bible. That's my position. I love it. We need more of that. But all power, position, and authority and gifting comes from God. Notice what he says here in verse 18. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and a majesty and glory and honor. Notice he says, Nebuchadnezzar didn't rise up a great kingdom. It was given to him by God. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples and nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished he executed. Whoever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. Whoever he wished, he put down. Now, Daniel makes it clear that, again, it's the most high God that even Nebuchadnezzar was placed in the position that he was in. And while for a while it seemed like Nebuchadnezzar was in control of everything, but what ultimately happened is we saw that over time he was brought to the end of himself. Because he would not humble himself, God humbled him. And through his humiliation, he surrendered and gave his life to the Lord. Sometimes the hardest people to reach are the ones that think they've got everything the world has to offer. But here's what we learn when that's the case. Your flesh will never be satisfied. There's not enough money. There's not enough wine, women, possessions, power. None, there's not enough of any of that to ever satisfy what God has created in you, which is the desire to have a relationship with him. But notice what he says. So he says, look, all these things that he had, but watch what happened. This is a message directly to a prideful man. And he's going to address Nebuchadnezzar's pride. And in so doing, being addressing the pride of Belshazzar. Verse 20, but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beast and his dwelling was with wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. Yeah, your grandfather or your father, whatever the case may be, he was your king. But guess what? He was only the king because God allowed it. And when he became too prideful, God brought him to the end of himself. Literally the most powerful man on the planet became like a wild beast for seven years and crawled around. And we saw in the text that he had claws, fingernails like claws and his hair and he, the, the dew was hitting his back. And for seven years, he's crawling around and they're feeding him grass like a, like a donkey or a cow, right? They're just feeding him. And that's what the king became. Why? Because the position he had before was because of the grace of God. And the position he was in now was because of the righteous judgment of God. 
See, God showed him grace in allowing him to be in the position, but when he became prideful and ceased to be humble, God then in righteous judgment brought him to another place. And thankfully, by coming to the end of himself, he's going to look up. And sometimes the best thing we can pray for for people is, Lord, do whatever is necessary to bring them to the end of themselves. We want to see people saved and we say, people come and say, can you pray for my son or can you pray for my husband or whatever? Can you please, please pray? And then they, then something bad happens. They're like, well, God didn't answer that prayer. I said, who says? Maybe that's what it's going to take. Amen. Sometimes you have to end up in the pig slop, like the prodigal son before you realize, you know, it's a lot better at home. Amen. And the same can be true for us. And so even when we see those that love us near us, sometimes the best thing that happens is they get caught. The best thing that happens is they're facing the righteous judgment of God because hopefully they will be humbled by it and surrender their lives to the Lord. Amen? Amen. Now notice what it says in verse 22. But you and his son Belshazzar have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. So now we know that he knew Nebuchadnezzar's life. He knew his grandfather's testimony. He knew all the things he had done. He knew how when he came to the end of himself and looked up, that God blessed him and that he ruled as king for another 20 years. And he knew all of that, and yet he did not learn from it. Guys, experience is the best teacher, but it doesn't always have to be your own experience. It can be the experience of others that we can learn from. So Daniel's preaching a very powerful sermon. God had raised up Nebuchadnezzar and given him the power But when Nebuchadnezzar became filled with pride, God humbled him in a devastating way. And Belshazzar knew the events. But instead of profiting from it, he defied the true and living God, committing sacrifice and using the vessels constructed to honor the true and living God for idol worship. And again, humble yourself or the Lord will humble you. Amen? It says, you know, the ultimate vessel ever created for God's glory again is us. And it is sacrilege when we use the instruments God has created for worship of him in worshiping something else. We're breaking the first two commandments, no other God before me and no graven image. And anytime we elevate stuff above God, we're caught up in adultery, um, idolatry, excuse me. God destroys only those who have known the truth and rejected it. Belshazzar knew the truth. He had heard it. He had seen it in his grandfather. And yet he chose to go his own way. God has no grandchildren. Look at verse 23 and 24. It says there, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. By the way, that's not good. You don't want to lift yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine with them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. Why would you worship anything that's dead? And too often, that's the things that we worship in this life. It's the car that we want to drive. It's the house we want to own. It's the money we want to have in the bank account. It's the trips we want to go on. These are all things that aren't alive. They're not living and breathing. They're temporal things. And he's exhorting him that, you know, you have, these things don't see or hear. And then it says, and the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. You're glorifying stuff that's all dead, and you're not glorifying the one who created you, holds his very breath in your hand, and will judge where you spend eternity. Does this sound like you've got a misplaced priorities? Amen? And that's where the world is. It's all about indulging myself and getting what I want with no thoughts of God. And the sad and tragic part is they will stand before the creator of the universe one day. Even though Belshazzar had clear knowledge of the consequences Nebuchadnezzar faced, and the humiliation he endured as righteous judgment of God, he did not learn from it, but he lifted himself up against Almighty God. So all power, position, and authority are gifted by the Lord. May we be faithful stewards with the gifts God's given us. Point number six, there's no escaping the righteous judgment of God. So it says there, then the fingers of the hand were sent from him as it is written, and this is the inscription that was written, Meanie, meanie, tikil, you farsen. So it's written on the wall, and they don't understand it because it's a language they don't understand, and nobody else in the land can interpret it. 
And all the wise men who, you know, astrology and magic and all the other stuff they study, the Chaldeans, they come in and look at it and it means nothing to them. You know what this reminds me of? When unbelievers reading the Bible, they read it and they take stuff out of, con I have conversations with people all the time. It's like, well, the Bible's filled with contradictions. I like, name one. Well, uh, name one. Well, they don't have one. And they'll say things like, well, King James wrote the Bible. Stop it. And, and what it is is ignorance. And what they'll do in their ignorance is they will, they will think that they know the truth. And sadly, they don't. So when they read the Word of by the by the way, if you're going to read the Word of God, read it in its context. Be prayed up and ask God to help you to understand it while you read it and be willing to apply it to your life. You're not reading a recipe book. You're not reading Moby Dick. You're reading the living, breathing Word of God. Amen? And it's the one book that should change you and transform you from the inside out. And so this word that came from God is written on the wall, and they all look at it, and they're just afraid, and they're spellbound. Now we need someone to come who has the Holy Spirit to interpret it. This is the interpretation of each word. I love that. He's doing expositional teaching here right here. I love it. Each word. He's going to break them down one word at a time. Okay, here's what it means. Okay, so meany, meany is God, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. That's what you want to hear, right? You're having this big parting ranger. Now you've messed your pants. Your knees are knocking together. You're scared to death. There's finally a guy that comes in and says he can give you the answer. And you're hoping, well, maybe it's a, a way we can win the battle. What is it for? And then he lets them know, yeah, he's numbered your days. You're done, bro. You're done. God, God gave you opportunities to repent. God gave you the the example of your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, and you chose to rebel against him, to deny him, to mock him by using what was to be used for the Lord and using it for yourself to get drunk. God had numbered the days of the Babylonian kingdom and Belshazzar's number was up. The next word, Tekel, verse 27, Tekel says, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. The word there, tekel, is kind of a word like shekel. And it's not just a coin, it's a measurement of weight. And Belshazzar is put on the scales and came up short. Our righteousness not only is well, does not only measure up, but it is as filthy rags, the Bible says. Our good works to God are as filthy rags. They're of no value to God. Our good works cannot save us. This is why it's tragic when people are, are part of churches where they feel like they're constantly on the scale of, I got to do good stuff to weigh off the bad stuff. And when I do a bad thing, I got to run down and confess to get the bad thing wiped out. And then I got to do another good thing. And then, and then you talk to them, are you going to heaven? And they're like, well, I hope so. I got to get this side of the scale up a little higher and then maybe I'll get in. And that would be just a tragic, difficult way to live life. Amen. Christianity is not a hope so, it's an oh so. We don't hope we're heaven. We know but by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary and his promises that he's made to us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. You'll be saved. Paid in full. Praise the Lord. But he looks at Belshazzar and says, bro, you've been, you've been measured up. You're found wanting. You were weighed before God. And because of it, righteous judgment is coming. Only the Lord's righteousness is sufficient. Guys, we're not saved because we're good. We're saved because he's good. We don't, we don't earn heaven. We surrender to him and it's given to us as a free gift. If we, if, we, if we had to earn it, it'd be a paycheck. Salvation is not a paycheck. It's a gift. Amen? God gives it to us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He knows you best. He loves you most. And he's willing to pay the price for you even, and for me, even though we didn't deserve it. So he's letting him know your kingdom is finished. You've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. You've come up short, Belshazzar. Verse 28, and That's a singular of you, Farson, that's in the previous verse. Your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Not only are you done, but those guys outside the gate, they're coming. And they're going to take over this kingdom. So you're going to die. This kingdom is going to be destroyed. And it's going to be taken over by your enemy. Now, we know from historians, the way they got in, they, they had a river running through and it was under these gates. And so the water would go through the gates. And what happened is, you know, these Medo-Persian guys, pretty smart, they diverted the river. 
so that the water went in another direction and then the water went down and they literally walked into the king. So he had 350 foot walls and they just walked right underneath them. And they walked in and they're going to wipe them all out and they're going to be ruling. Now, if you remember back in Daniel 2, the vision that was given to Nebuchadnezzar, there was a head of gold and then there were arms of silver. You guys remember that? In the arms of silver of the Medo-Persians, it was each kingdom that was going to take place until that rock came down and, just, and destroyed it. And that rock, of course, we know is Jesus. So your kingdom has been divided. Belshazzar's kingdom was going to be split up in the Medo-Persian empire. The head of gold again now removed. And this had been prophesied some 50 years earlier. And now it's taking place. So God had Belshazzar's number. It fell short. He had weighed Belshazzar and he came up light. And he would therefore divide Belshazzar's kingdom to the Medes and the Persians. The ancient, again, historians have told us. And by the way, this was prophesied in Isaiah 44 and Jeremiah 51. Again, writings over 200 years before it happened. I just want to encourage you. The more you read the Bible, the more confidence you'll have in the word of God. Amen? Because as you read it, you go, man, the Bible, man, look at... And there's so much prophecy and there's so much truth. And, it's, and because God has been faithful to all the promises he made in the Old Testament, we can be, we can be assured that he's going to fulfill the promises he's made that haven't taken place yet. Amen? Amen? Because he's made these promises, they were fulfilled. We know the promises he's made us will be fulfilled as well. Verse 29, that Belshazzar gave the command and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a a proclamation concerning him that he should be third ruler in the kingdom. This is Belshazzar's last duty as king is he lets everyone know that Daniel needs to be promoted. Daniel didn't do this to be promoted, but he got promoted anyway. And you know, I just, here's what I thought about when I thought of that. You and I should live to honor God, not pursuing the gifts, things of this world. Now, God may bless you for being faithful to God, and that's just a blessing that comes from him. But the priority shouldn't be chasing after the blessings, chase after the Lord. Amen. Amen? And then the blessings will follow. If you've ever seen a name and a claim it, grab it and blab it, believe it and achieve it, you know, word of faith, church, and they get on there and you got to send me a seed, $1,000, give me a seat, right? And you plant your seed in my garden, it'll grow and you'll get a, you know, stop it. It's just nauseating, isn't it? And by the way, seed in the Bible is always the word of God, it's never money. So there's another problem, right? But plant your seed. We're always planting in his garden, by the way. It's amazing how that works. If he really believed that, he should say, the next 500 people to call and I'll send you all 10 grand so I can plant my seed. Never happens that way. But here's the point. They're pursuing the blessing. We don't want to pursue the blessing. We want to pursue the Lord and the blessing will follow. Amen? Make him the priority and the passion of your life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Amen? And sometimes the worst thing that could happen to you would be get a bunch of money. Amen? Might make your priorities change. So Daniel's not looking for a reward. He was a faithful man of godly character. He spoke the truth with boldness without fear of consequences. Again, he would rather die with conviction than live with comp compromise. And note, he sought only to obey and honor the Lord, and God blessed him anyway. Seek the Lord in his will, not the fading riches of this world. Final point, God is faithful to his word. Sometimes we pray... And God doesn't answer for a long time. But here's what we need to know. We pray in our time, God answers in his time, and his timing is perfect. Amen. Amen? So sometimes God says no, sometimes God says wait, and it's not easy for us to hear that always. But you know what? We can look back, and as uh, Sarah started praying, God dots in your life, right? Things happen in your life. And you look back, and when it didn't happen the way you wanted, and, you, and then you look back in time, and you see how God's hand was on all of it. But sometimes he does act quickly. Ask Belshazzar, verse 30. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius and the Mede, Mede, the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So the beginning of the chapter starts with a man who thinks he's invincible, with a man who has a 350-foot wall all around him, a man who has a mighty army, a man who uh, is afraid of nothing, richest man on the planet, most powerful along with his father. By the way, by the time they reached the gate, the Medo-Persians had already killed his father on the, out on the battlefield. So his father's dead. 
So at this point, Belshazzar is the king. And instead of doing anything to try to build up his kingdom or to seek a truce with his enemy or to cry out to Almighty God, he thinks he's invincible. So he lives this indulgent life. He's partying, he's drinking, he's mocking God. And here's the bottom line, God will not be mocked. Again, he suffers long, but he won't suffer always. And Belshazzar faced the judgment of God. Here's my burden for everyone in here. Here's my burden for all of you. My prayer is that every single person in this tent will all be citizens of heaven. Amen? It would break my heart, break God's heart, more importantly, if, if you, you could be like Belshazzar where you know about the testimony of somebody else. You know how God worked in someone else's life. But guys, you, you, you don't get saved by your parents, your grandparents, or your friends. You have to have your own relationship with Almighty God. You will either humble yourself before Him now or be humbled by Him on a judgment day. And people will say, well, this is like a hellfire and brimstone message. You bet, because hellfire and brimstone is in the Bible. Amen? And I'd rather have you be warned about it than experience it. Amen? And so the Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. Nobody is here by chance. We're all here by divine appointment. None of us have the promise of tomorrow. And my prayer is that nobody walks out of this tent without the assurance that they're born again and have surrendered their life to the Lord. Secondly, if you're here and you've been walking in disobedience to the Lord and you know it and God knows it and maybe nobody else knows it, can I encourage you? It's time to get right with God. Amen? It's not enough to have the get out of hell free card in our wallet and live like the world. We need to live our lives surrendered fully to the Lord. He is the priority and passion of your life. Amen? And guys, we want to live a life that will impact eternity. And so my prayer is, look, when we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. Ask Daniel. He was obedient. He told the truth. He wanted nothing. God blessed him anyway. When we walk in rebellion against Almighty God, consequences will come. It can destroy your family, destroy your marriage, destroy your testimony, destroy your character, destroy your integrity, and anything and everything else your coworkers look at. And it could cause you to be somebody who's no longer effective for the kingdom of God. So if you're in disobedience to the Lord, if you've listened to the enemy, you can take a million steps away from God. It's only one step back. And my prayer is before you leave this tent this morning that you get right with God. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. You are a great and an awesome God. I thank you for everyone who's here this morning, none by chance, all by divine appointment. And Lord, I pray we would learn from the lesson of Belshazzar, a man who put his faith in himself, in the mightiness of his kingdom, in the mightiness of his possessions, who mocked you openly, who was a man who seemed to have everything the world would want to offer, wives and concubines and riches and wealth and power and position. And we all know those things are fleeting. They don't last forever. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. If you're here this morning, and first you must recognize you're a sinner. We're all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin is a archery term. It's a distance between where the, the arrow lands and where the bullseye is. We've all missed the mark. We've been weighed and found wanting like Belshazzar if we don't know the Lord. But here's the good news. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He went to the cross. He took all of your sin upon himself. See, someone's got to pay for your sin. Either you pay for it or you allow the Lord to pay for it. Salvation is offered universally, but it must be accepted individually. He's offering you the free gift of salvation, but you must be the one to choose it. I'm not asking you to join a church, but the Bible does say, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. So if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to the Lord or you're unsure about your salvation, right now I want to encourage you just to raise your hand where you are and I will pray with you. Anybody at all. Don't leave here without the Lord. He loves you so much, you'd rather die than live without you. He's a great and an awesome God. Lord, if there's anybody here today that has been walking in open rebellion against you, their lives have gotten off path. Maybe, Lord, they, they love you, but they're not reading their Bible. They're not spending time in prayer. They've wandered away from you. They've got caught up in the things of the world. Maybe there's a, a sin that is a big burden on them right now because they're continuing in it. Lord, I pray for each of those people right now that they too would confess that 
And they too would say, Lord, I want to get right with you. Please forgive me. Restore me unto yourself. If that's you today, every head's bowed. Just raise your hand where you are. I want to pray for you. Anybody at all? Anybody else? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you, bro. The Lord loves us. Confession is is a wonderful thing. When we confess our sins before God, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Amen? God knows your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for all these who've raised their hands. Lord, I thank you for their, their heart of repentance and their willingness to just surrender that to you. Lord, I pray whatever they've gone through, wherever they may be, Lord, they would, you would restore them unto yourself. You would draw them back into a place of fellowship with you. We're thankful, Lord, that when we confess, you're faithful and just to forgive us. You separate our sin as far as the east is from the west. And I pray they would no longer walk in condemnation from the enemy because they can walk in the promise that you have forgiven them and chosen to remember that sin no more. So Lord, I pray, draw them unto yourself. Continue to help us, Lord, to make you the priority and passion of our life. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name. We pray and all God's people said, amen.